Staying home all day, every day. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I feel like my best high life would be the life of a hermit, so it's, I, I mean, it's not really bothering me that much right now. I always thought that would be the case for me, too, especially recently, but um, no, I'm still going crazy. Yeah, I'm surprised because you really didn't go out that much. Nah, it's just like um, not having the option to do anything, I guess, is what it is. I don't like having it. <laughs> like, I don't want to do, I'm not going to do it if I, if I could, but I, I would like to be able to. Yeah, it just like makes everything seem repetitive and I feel trapped, you know, it's uh, normally it's like, I, it's my, oh, so you, you just see like the illusion of choice. <laughs> yeah. Normally it's my choice not to do anything, but now it's like, Oh no, I can't do anything. Um, the kids are, are taking it okay so far. James is going is driving everybody else a little crazy. He spent most of the morning trying to convince his sister that uh, she was a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> kids is crazy. Um, did you hear the first new Bright Eyes song in nine years? No, I didn't. Did they actually release the song? Yeah, it's called Persona Non Grata. I'll have to listen to it after this. Is it good? Yep, sounds like Bright Eyes. Well, there you they, go. They did it. <laughs> they did it, their brass. Uh, did you listen to Bob Dylan's new 17 minute uh, long song? No, I saw that. I'm like, nah, no, I'm going to pass on that one, Bob. <laughs> yeah, it's, people are trying real hard to make it seem like it's an important song. But um, <laughs> it's just I think like, we all know it's not. It's just Bob Dylan like listing random shit, basically. <laughs> and you know what I noticed is um, Bob Dylan's like uh, modern singing in air quotes is uh, <laughs> he sounds like uh, fucking uh, Adam Sandler doing the but if he's had like a, a couple cigars before <laughs> well yeah just like less enthusiasm yeah so <laughs> fucking Bob Dylan sucks <laughs> our murder most foul they killed him. Oh no, JFK killed him. They killed the fellow. Oh they wait, I mean, we start recording. Yeah, good, good morning, cats and kittens. <laughs> this is VHS. I saw Tiger. It was somewhere over there. It saw me. No, it saw a man. No, I know, saw but it man. saw me, and I was there. Man, singing, making fun of his bangers. He's got plenty <laughs> of hits. Joe Exotic rules. Um, I mean, he. A lot of people are like, "That's not him singing," but I, I don't know. I think it is him singing. <laughs> I think he's just. Well, that's the thing is his regular speaking voice. I think is a little bit of an affectation. Mm-hmm. 
And then, so when he sings, he just, you know, drops his voice register and sings like a country singer. Someone was saying that there was a, there was a band that he hired to do it and he just sang over them. But I, I mean, either way, I don't care. <laughs> it's still great. I care because of the authenticity. Joe, There's God. nothing authentic <laughs> about him, though. That's the whole point. God damn it. You people see? He's a flim flam man. Hey, uh, you know what? Like he's not though. Like I've seen a lot of people trying to compare him to like Donald Trump or something. Well, no, but he. I mean, he is, and he's not like Donald Trump in the same sense. But I mean, he's not. He's, a lot of it's bullshit. You know what I mean? He's yeah, a crazy but, person, but yeah, that's what I mean. Is it's different because he's not like it's like all made up. And in he's his more head, like the guy but, that like uh, tricked the the town of Munster into like a religious cult. Yeah, because like, hundreds. It, well, no, it's like instead of him just making shit up trying to like manipulate people i feel like he just um he's like manifesting his his like his yeah like fantasies into reality that's I'm exactly what it is i'm telling you he's a fucking shaman <laughs> the, the society was ready for the money shaman <laughs> yeah people are losing their minds about him they're like oh they haven't seen a, such a powerful shaman in such a long time <laughs> not since crassus created his own army to invade persia I was thinking more like George Michael, but yeah. <laughs> it's fucking whack. I hate it. I fucking hate it. I hate everything right now. I got I'm ter- been diagnosed with with terminal case of space madness. The corona crazies. There's no cure except for besitos. Yeah, I'm definitely like looking out my window sad and lonely sort of illness right now <laughs> what's going on i just need to, <laughs> i just need to get out there and let my gun bang you know let my nuts hang no predator for 10 minutes. yeah hello cat what did she say cats and hello cats, hey cats and kittens that's it hey cats and kittens this is the vhs cult uh, today little little minxie she shot out an entire human skull odd that's crazy that so many people are subscribed to her shit like I don't, I don't think I would want to get like daily updates from her about the fucking cats. Me either. Joe Exotic's different. I get daily updates from him, but he'd be <laughs> well, like talking. Only, about, some of them would not be about cats. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> his shit would be like all over the place. Hell yeah, <laughs> that's some crazy shit to say. <laughs> Ruby Ridge too, but Joe Exotic was like, it's gonna be another Waco, <laughs> but with tigers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wonder if I have too much in common with weirdos. Yeah, you ever wonder about that? <laughs> I realize I do, but but I try to keep it in check. Well, yeah, I'm just like, mm, I don't want to get in trouble for my views. So, yeah, but sometimes also I just sh- say shit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh well. Um, speaking of uh, hor- holding up and blasting some fools in the, the name of survival, this week we watched Night of the Living Dead, but it was the remake from 1990 with, with the Candyman. They came to pay their respects. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Why do you have to be so cruel? What? Show some respect. Now, they're running for their lives. A biologist in Stockton, California, have released reports focusing on the phenomenon, specifically on that trance-like state. Every shelter is becoming a trap. Are you sure we're going to be all right? Don't stop no matter what happens. It's just another dead end. They're coming right for us. 
Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, Tony Todd. Yeah, return. Uh, oh, my notes say Return of the Living Dead, which is uh, not That's a different movie. That's a different, better oh, movie. At the end, I also have a one-star review for Tetsuo. I want to give you a little preview. The, the name of the reviewer is 9-11 Supermom. What the fuck? <laughs> we gotta wait on that one. It's gonna be crazy. She's definitely not gonna let my nuts hang. Mm, she is offend, offended you even would suggest it. <laughs> Night of the Living Dead 1990. This is a remake. Um, it is directed by Tom Savini. That's the godfather of gore. He's he's the guy that does those movies with the the Romero fella with the but what with the makeups and the blood. Yep, he's that's him. That's what he does. He's uh, from a Pittsburgh guy, just like Romero. Also, he fought a vampire once. I saw. Right. Yep, Sex Machine, <laughs> uh, inspired by the film Man of a Thousand Faces. A young Savini became fascinated with the magic and illusion of film. He spent his youth in his room creating characters by tirelessly practicing makeup. Later, as a combat photographer in Vietnam, Savini saw firsthand the gruesome carnage for which he later gained fame, simulating it on screen. Mm, That's a good way to get education, isn't it? Thanks, Vietnam. Savini himself says, I get asked that question a lot. I did see a lot of firsthand anatomically correct gore, and I think the most important part of that was was, was we created a dead body or situation. When we create a dead body or situation, there's a certain feeling you get from seeing the real thing. If I'm creating a gory effect and I don't get the same feeling when I saw the real stuff, I'm not satisfied. That's a little bit crazy, but... (laughs) (laughs) Thompson Mooney's a little bit crazy. Yeah, And they say nothing good ever came out of Vietnam. I mean, he revolutionized um, monster makeup and special effects and shit, so fucking great job, Tom Savini. It's not just him, though. There's also Dick Smith and Rob Botton. Dick Smith. Yeah, they're around the same time also really jump-starting the practical effects that we saw in, like, 70s and 80s film. But uh, Savini was one of the key effects people behind uh, the makeup and effects scene in, like, all the fantasy horror genre films in the 1980s and 1990s. Not all of them, but quite a bit. So his his, his big influence, surprisingly, is uh, Lon Chaney. What? Yeah, because he wanted to emulate the theatrical makeup effects that were a hallmark of Chaney's career. So Lon Chaney is actually, um, I mean, he's well known for being in early horror movies, wearing like stark makeup, the early makeup effects. And uh, he was a big proponent of the makeup effects and just uh, low budget um, <laughs> film effects in general. So it kind of makes sense. Also, I and mean, he just, Lon Chaney is a striking figure of a man. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Lon. Uh, so his big breakthrough, of course, is Dawn of the Dead in 1978. And then the very first Friday the 13th. He did not work on another Friday the 13th film until uh, the fifth one. Which one's that? It's, or maybe the fourth one. It's like the one where Jason returns from the dead. Um, he said uh, after the first fight of 13th he was like uh, Jason is a kid who dies why would he be in the sequel anyone who watches that shit is an idiot (laughs) (laughs) oh by the way I'll be back for for one of these later on yeah I think he just wanted to work with uh, like the team that was doing it yeah but 
I mean, <laughs> that's kind of really that's kind of how I feel about the Friday Thirteen series. Is um, I don't think the first one's very good either. I think it's kind of boring. But I, yeah, can I, don't really like it. I can, understand, I can understand like how it jump started, like the um eighties like splatter films and stuff. So that's cool. And then the second one's like a better movie, but it is dumb that Jason's back. And then mm-hmm. uh, after that, it's I don't care. I don't care about any of them after that. That's why Freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street is the best of the superhero horror movies because there's at least like three or four good ones. <laughs> and then the, only the first Halloween is good. Everything else sucks. Uh, what about Halloween 4, The Secret of the Use? Nah, that one's terrible. It's like, that's consumer garbage. You know what I mean? You ought to see the fools that are hell in the horror, horror and all they do is buy like horror toys and horror posters and horror shirts and Who's your favorite horror icon? It's always like Pinhead, Michael Myers. Well, that's fucking garbage. That ain't that real shit. You gotta stay punk rock with it. You can't be a dumb consumer about this shit. Fucking building your identity around some fucking consumer bullshit. And you're consuming the wrong thing. Well, and I just think structuring your identity around that sort of thing is kind of weird. Obviously, I'm a big horror fan, and um, it has had some effects on my identity and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, like you said, I'm punk rock with it. I'm more interested in the artistry and the people that made the films. I don't give a fuck about long-running series, which one's better. You know what I mean? That's just dumb. And then, like I said, most of those movies... <laughs> like I said, Nightmare on Elm Street is the best. Well, I mean, most of those movies suck. Nightmare on Elm Street is only the best because it has, like, three out of the dozen movies are good. <laughs> it just has a better <laughs> track record. <laughs> and it's because Wes Craven's cool. And most of his other movies that aren't Nightmare on Elm Street are better. <laughs> Especially the one about voodoo. Hell yeah. But I do, I am a big fan of Thomas Savini, though. And he is, in fact, the only man in Hollywood who can claim all four titles of stuntman, makeup artist, actor, and director. And the only man who's come close is makeup artist, actor, and stuntman, Lon Chaney. Whoa! Just went away. Tom's beanie went up them. Yeah, he's like, I love Lon Chaney. I must be better than him. It's a real uh, Jesse James and Robert Ford situation. (laughs) Uh, He was actually originally supposed to do the makeup effects for Night of the Living Dead. Him and Romero have been friends since that long. Mm -hmm. But... Wow. Um, Savini enlisted to serve in Vietnam. Well, that turned out to be a mistake. (laughs) Yeah, and then before Dawn of the Dead, he actually worked with George Romero on Martin in 1977, but not too many people know what Martin is. Do you know what Martin is? I feel like I did once. I don't remember anymore. It's kind of a vampire movie that George Romero made. It's pretty good. I don't know if I ever saw it. it. Yeah, I don't know. It's not something I saw until I was older. Uh, he's, I guess, his other big sort of stuff: um, Day of the Dead, Creep Show, Maniac, The Burning, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, which is better than the first one, I think. Yeah, I really don't like the first one. It's um, that movie is 100 percent screaming and uh, and like generator noises and chainsaws. That's all it is. No, I mean it has uh, merits for being kind of groundbreaking at the time and i do like that it is just like the independent spirit of making whatever the fuck you want but the actors went crazy when they're making it yeah but yeah there's it's like um boring this is the problem (laughs) i think the second one's better 
Tom Savini on film has said, film is a truly magical medium. You can create illusions of reality. You make people think they're, they've seen things that they really haven't, like blowing a guy's head off with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Which, that's cool. That's like why I like movies, I think. Is, uh, you it's can like see a, guys' get heads get blown off with shotguns. That, or more specifically, it's like a magic trick. There's one effect in this movie that I'm like, I'm really not impressed with right at the beginning. Which one's uh, that? When they kill... What the fuck is the Barbara's brother? Um, I don't know. Henry. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, we'll go Henry. <laughs> Henry is a new character in the first one, right? In the, in the original. Is it Henry? Whatever. Her, fuck her it. Whatever. Barbara, when, his, with the, when his head bounces against the gravestone. It's oh, a, yeah. It's clearly dumb. dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it, though. It's cute because it's like the guy in makeup riding a dummy. <laughs> 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 But um, yeah, her brother's in the first one, but he doesn't survive to the end. He dies in the graveyard. You no, know, I know, but the, the guy named Henry, I think, is there's a dude named Henry in the first one that I, I think survives to the end. Whatever, my memory is just all over the place. No, all the characters have the same names. So no, he doesn't. There ain't no goddamn Henry. Oh goddamn it! I haven't seen the 1968 version in like ten years. The, 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 the unburied dead return to life and seek human victims. I actually saw this 1990 version way before I saw Night of the Living Dead. But that's because I somehow saw this version of the movie when I was like seven. Yeah, I'm think- I think we watched it when it came on VHS. Yeah, we're pretty young. Uh, it terrified the fuck out of me. I was afraid of zombies for a long ass time. <laughs> I remember when you were like 17 or 18, you had a fucking bat under your bed because of a zombie invasion. I mean, that's also like intruders and stuff too, but yeah, yeah zombies. Yeah, like uh, something about zombies really resonated with me where it's the most like, it was the most terrifying shit to me possible at the time. And then it was also still like my favorite shit to watch. So. My thinking is, oh, and uh, rest in peace to Stuart Gordon. He died this week. He has a quote where he says, uh, uh, the reason we love horror so much is it's like a dress rehearsal for death. So basically the idea is, you know, you get like the concept of limit experiences, I guess, where uh, you get to get closer to death, you get a little taste of it. So maybe you're sort of conditioning yourself to accept death a little bit more. So that's, I feel like I'm, I'm close enough to death as it is right now. I don't need to be reminded. I think that's probably why I like the zombie shit so much is because it terrified me so much and made me think about my own death. I didn't want to be eaten alive, but then I was so fucking intrigued with it. But then there's also the um, scientific observation. you and all these old men touching you. Well, there is a, also the science observation that there is um, connectivity between the sexuality and fear. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of horror movies... Uh, inadvertently because i don't think a lot of the horror movie directors early on were aware of this concept but they do mingle sexuality and fear together to you know heighten your experience so maybe that has something to do with it i don't know i'm pretty weird sexual crazy person anyways does that have to do with horror movies or is that how it's made i don't know only god knows only god can judge me i don't know tony todd's in it he's the candy man he's not the candy man yet though no this is way before the candy well i guess not way before it's like a couple years before the candy man because this is 1990. Candyman's like 94? No, 92, I bet. I'm right in front of the movie. My computer, I can tell you right now. Candyman. 95? Oh, like, okay, I guess. I remember um, hearing about it. Oh, no, 92. Out. Yeah, I remember hearing about it from kids at school when it came out on VHS. Me too. Everybody seemed to watch it on VHS. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember people going to the movies too often when they were kids. I guess that's true. Candyman, he's also in Platoon, and he's great in Platoon, and he's in The Rock, remember, he's a, he's a soldier man. 
Oh yeah, I forgot. But uh, he's got like yeah, welcome to the rock. Two hundred and twenty nine acting credits. Oh Jesus, Jesus Christ! Um, regular ass <laughs> uh, basic bitches will know him from being on the TV show Twenty Four, probably the which that's whack. <laughs> oh shit, was he on Twenty Four? Yeah, he was like Kiefer's boss or whatever. I remember him on Twenty. Oh shit, the I president watched... or something. No, he wasn't the president on Twenty Four. Oh, he's somebody like, else. You're being racist. No, nah, he's it's in not... 24. I never watched 24. I just assumed he was the president. Because <laughs> he has that gravitas. The president was a black dude, but it wasn't Tony Todd. No, I don't know. He's in it. And, uh, I only remember watching one or two seasons when, I, when we lived when we rented a house. But Yeah, 24 sucks. Um, it was like only after 9-11 could some garbage shit like that get made. <laughs> what a terrible time. What a terrible like decade of human society, 2000-2010. We got a, by the way, we got a review from someone coming up for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he won the role of Ben in Night of the Living Dead out of many contenders, including Lawrence Fishburne, Ving Rhames, and Eric LaSalle. How about Curtis? Yeah, Night of the Living Dead was my first starring role, first lead, and I remember I was in Pittsburgh doing something for HBO Showtime. They were merged at the time. I remember watching the original at a drive-in and being really impressed that A, you had a black actor on screen played by Dwayne Jones who was carrying the movie, and B, it was genuinely scary. He had the black and white and looked like a documentary. So I ran into the office, I found the production office, and I grabbed director Tom Savini by his lapels literally and said, you got to read me, you got to read me. He tried to tell me I was close. I said, you got to read me. I just laid it out, and he gave me the job that day. So that was important for me. Later, my son was born, too, during that, and that was significant. So it was more, what basically he's saying is being Night of the Living Dead 1990 remake was more important than his son being born. (laughs) He carried that movie, the second, the remake, too. He was the best actor in it. Yeah, I mean, he's fucking Tony Todd. That's what I mean. That's why I thought he was the president. He's like got the gravitas. Like, yeah, that's a leader. And he's a candy man. Um, Patish, Patricia Tallman plays Barbara. Barbara. That man over there is a tall man. Let's give him a tall man name. But it's a woman. Patricia Tallman. I get, apparently she's a longtime collaborator of Tom Savini and George A. Romero. Uh, but uh, she's worked with them throughout the 80s and 90s. A lot of her credits are for like stunt stuff. So I think she's mostly a successful stunt woman, which would make sense why she's friends with Tom Savini. Because yeah, basically everyone in 1978, in uh, Dawn of the Dead in 1978, weren't technically stunt people, but they kind of became a stunt team just by falling on boxes in the mall and shit. <laughs> so she's probably been hanging out with them since then. Then we got Tom Towles, who plays Harry... Or they refer to him as Cooper mostly. He's Harry Cooper. Oh, that might be the guy I was thinking of the first one that I saw was Henry. Yeah. Um, he's longtime horror actor. Rob Zombie likes him. He, Rob Zombie puts him in his movies. Uh, I mostly know him as Otis and Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Uh, we got McKee Anderson, who plays his wife, Helen. She's got a very short acting career in the 90s. That's about it. <laughs> she did this movie. Uh, and then we got William Butler, who plays Tom. Um, he was in Ghoulies too. Tom. Probably playing almost the exact same character, if I had to guess. Yeah, yeah, probably. I don't remember him in Ghoulies too, but that seems to be like a Ghoulies type of character. Just like a kid yelling and stuff. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, uh, but he went on to be more of a writer than an actor or anything like that. Uh, he did all the 2000s Return of the Living Dead sequels, like Rave to the Grave and shit. They all fucking Oof. suck. And then some Disney trash, like Disney TV channel shit. <laughs> so his career sucks. But uh, he holds the distinction of being the only actor killed by three of the big four of horror, which I talked about earlier. Freddy, Jason, Leatherface, and Michael Myers, the big four of consumer Which did he get? consumer bullshit he's only not been killed by mike myers he's got a little bit of time yeah they'll keep don't worry they'll keep making those they'll keep making them shits and then we got katie finnerin who plays jody judy rose this is her first acting role come on judy rose just get, get the board stop crying so much she's still around it looks like she just does tv shit though and then most importantly impression on me yeah, I don't know. So those are all the people in the fucking house, the main characters. Um, the most important character, though, is uh, aside from Tony Todd, is Bill Mosley's in this movie. But Bill Mosley, this man is Chop Top in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Long-running horror film actor. He's a horror icon. Um, I mostly know him from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 as Chop Top because he's fucking ridiculous in it. <laughs> Chop Top. Chop top. How many times do you say it? Chop top. I just, it, it feels good to say. It does, doesn't um, it? Chop top. Uh, I guess like now in modern times, he's known for being in uh, all of Rob Zombie's abortions. He plays Otis in the fucking House of Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, Three from Hell. That trilogy of bullshit. Rob Zombie, what are you trying to do? You can see like Rob Zombie's enthusiasm and all his reference points, and it's, like, all shit that, like, I understand and like. But he just, like, cannot put together a good movie. It's just so amateurish still. He's been doing it for, like, fucking 20 years. Maybe it's just the kind of movie he likes to make. Just really well, no, it's, it's kind of schlocky piece no, together. No, nah, because he doesn't even, like, get it right. He's, like, he'll make, like, so I think his best movie is The Devil's Rejects, which is supposed to be more of, like, a grindhouse, schlocky exploitation, just violence movie, right? Mm-hmm. But then he incorporates elements in it that are from like other subgenres that throws it off just because like he wants it to be in there. The worst offender, of course, is House of a Thousand Corpses, where he's like, "This may be the only time I get to make a movie, so I'm gonna throw everything into it until it just becomes like a heaving mess of bullshit." But he, all of his movies are like that, where like he doesn't have a strong concept or singular vision. He just throws shit into a pile and he's like, "Here's my movie." It's like, nah. They're letting you make movies now, man. Just pick one concept and stick to it. <laughs> I straight up have not seen enough Marvel zombie movies to, to comment. I've seen House of a Thousand Corpses, which I didn't like that much. And I've seen Devil's Rejects, which is better. But I, I think that's it. I think, well, I think he saw a stupid Halloween remake, too. 31? I don't know, the Halloween remake. Yeah, yeah. the Halloween. Yeah, I've seen all of his movies. I don't, <laughs> and the, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, there, I mean, you still want to ride in the back of his Dragula. Yeah, I, f- I like Rob Zombie, and um, I'm glad someone's out there allowing him to make movies. I just know, but it's just frustrating. Up your shit. <laughs> it's yeah, it's frustrating to me because I can see he's got like some fucking good movies in there. You know what I mean? It's just like fucking do it, pull the trigger on something, you know. But hopefully he'll get there eventually. And uh, and then I also just like watching horror movies. So even like the shittiest horror movies, like. I'll, I may end up watching multiple times, you know, just because it comes up. (laughs) 
Uh, this 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 fella here, the uh, Night of the Living Dead, was um, originally rated X by the MPAA or NC seventeen. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they had more violence in it. Yeah, they had to edit out like a lot of extreme gore, hmm. like close ups of like uh, headshots and stuff like that. I don't and know if now, that makes the movie worse or not. I'm, I, it makes like, it there needs to, it needs to be a little bit more in there, but, but yeah, it makes it worse for me because uh, that's now as an adult knowing about the film going into a Tom Savini movie. Uh, Was it intended now, to be filmed in black and white? white? No, just that opening moonshot. Now it's time for a shocking reveal about this film. Are you ready? Yes. Despite the fact that filming was going smoothing, smoothly and on time and on budget, Monoton Golan and the film's other producers insisted on cutting out other scenes and events to keep costs down. Yeah, As a first-time director, Tom Savini could do little to stop them. So well, why did Romero, I assume Romero went to Mahatma Golem to make this movie, right? Uh, Tom Savini wanted to do it. He got uh, him and George are friends. George is like, sure, I'll put some money up. I'll help you out. We don't have enough. We get some other producers. Boom, Monoton Golan steps in. But yeah, the shocking reveals. God damn it, Monoton Golan's back. <laughs> I mean, you should have been able to tell from the opening credits. They're pretty prominent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Monoton. This is after. Uh, this is he's doing this independently of canon film. It's just him, him throwing up that cage. That oh, sweet cage. That makes even more sense as to why he's like, no, 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 cut it all out. Tom Savini's original idea was to start the film in black and white and then slowly add color, but instead it's just. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Would have been like, what's that fucking Toby Maguire movie where color starts to show up? Oh yeah, where they Pleasantville. Get Pleasantville. That's yeah. not. That's not quite the same thing. No, they do exactly like that. The color starts <laughs> to show up and zombies. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we were finally making emotional connections with each other. So now it's color and zombies. And zombies. Production not easy for director Tom Savini. He said it was the worst nightmare of my life. He said that only forty percent of his ideas made it into the final film. Mm. That's kind of what happens when you're a first-time director. And, and you're working with Muhammad. <laughs> yeah, he's like, are you putting ninjas in it? I don't know how to do an Israeli accent. So imagine... Oh, I forgot. Really. <laughs> imagine, I, <laughs> imagine that all with an Israeli accent. <laughs> I don't know if I can do an Israeli accent either. Let's just move on. An interview with Cine Fantastique during the film's production. Director Tom Zavini mentioned the possibility of including a shooting star over the horizon at the beginning of the film. It wouldn't be specified whether it was a satellite or a meteor, but would have been an homage to the Venus probe theory behind the living dead in the original 1968 film. Remember they referenced the uh, Venus probe passing overhead, coming yeah. into our atmosphere, and Night of the Living Dead is just on the radio or whatever. And so a lot of people have um, theorized that that was the cause of the zombies. But uh, we don't ever know because it's not ever mentioned again in any of the dead sequels. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, George Romero's like, who gives a fuck? Yeah, none of the Dead Seagulls even really go into what caused it. No, which I think is fine. Like, fuck it. Yeah. Who cares? I'm here for the zombie action. Uh, the scene at the end of the film where several zombies are lynched from a tree and shot at was, in fact, scripted in the original 68 film, but was cut because of uh, racial tensions gripping the country <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I mean, the ending in the original 68 film was already, like, kind of, you know, pushing the button enough. Well, the old 68 film is completely subversive. I was thinking about it. So George Romero was like, you know, a lot of it wasn't intentional. I didn't mean to do this, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I think his, his the anxiety and, like, the pathos of his generation that they were living with at that point, that all leaked into the movie. So maybe he didn't intentionally do it, but it is, like, a great snapshot of, like, the anxiety that, like, these young kids are facing in 1968. Yeah. You 
Uh, that said, the 1990 remake is included on Roger Ebert's most hated list. <laughs> but Roger, this is a movie just for horror fans who are familiar with Tom Savini and like zombies and shit. It's not like supposed to be a groundbreaking film or anything. I don't think. Yeah, and, I don't know. It's hard because like Roger Ebert doesn't. The movie doesn't like really that. need to exist. Like you, the 68 version is 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 better, and you should. If you're gonna only watch one, you should watch the 68 version, I guess. But I, I, I don't know. I kind of get where Roger is coming from. Nah, my thing is like obviously 68 films better. Um, it's like a groundbreaking work of cinema, changed the horror landscape forever, changed independent film forever. Um, you know, it's like one of the most important films of all time, probably, in my opinion. Obviously, this one's not going to live up to it, but it's just like George Romero's friend, Tom Savini, who you all know and love making like a fan version of it. You know, it's like cute and fun. I don't think it's a film that should be hated. It's just. Oh, no, I'm not saying that. I'm taking that seriously. Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert <laughs> doesn't know shit about horror movies anyways. That's my biggest complaint about it. <laughs> my biggest like, Roger Ebert complaint. Yeah, he like doesn't understand it. If you want like a critic. <clears throat> to follow along with an understanding of like exploitation and horror genre film and stuff. So listen to Joe Bob Briggs. Now I he's an old him on, like, man. TV, yes. Yeah. Monster vision. Yep. 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 That's how I saw. Well, quite a few of the movies we've uh, watched on the VHS cult. I, I mean, TBS and like TNT on monster. You, and it's no lesser extent like Turner movie classics used to show just a lot of old, old schlock. Yeah. So, even without yeah. even without Joe Bob being there, yeah. But um, for me, Monster Vision specifically is like if I wouldn't be able to sleep at night when I was a kid, I was hanging with Joe Bob. Even talking about yeah, I just hang out with Joe Bob and watch Monster Vision. And for some reason, um, when I was a kid, like mostly only zombies and like yeah, pretty much just zombies scared me. Even back then, like most horror movies weren't super scary to me. They might like bother me for a few days, but like even as a kid, I was like not upset to be scared it was more like i need to overcome being scared but um even watching monster vision as like a little little kid just because it was like joe bob was there talking about the movie and cracking jokes about it and made it like not scary at all no matter like what the movie was so that's why i love joe bob he's fucking dope he had a big impact on me as a child (laughs) (laughs) what do you think obviously it's not as good as the 68 film I don't know. And I think it can be argued it didn't need to be made. Um, yeah, I mean, 100%. It didn't. I don't even know if I really like the way they changed the ending. I, I mean, it's, so I, the, Barbara's part is fine. I just kind of know. Well, what Savini specifically went into it wanting to f- fix, in air quotes, Barbara's character because Barbara is like terrible in yeah, Night of the Original true. One. I don't mean she's terrible just because she's terrible. I mean, she's written terribly in the original one. And so Tom Savini wanted to go in and be like, have it be a strong female presence in the film without taking away from the Ben character, which I think he did a good job with. No, he that part, uh, yeah, he's all fine up until oh, like the very end. You know what I mean? Yeah, I had a problem with yeah. Barbara's character. Or how you know, like she ends up, you know, because in the original movie she just gets kind of like snatched away by the, the zombies at one point, right? Yeah, it's towards the end she's gone. Yeah, and she's kind of always been like, hysterical. Yeah, she just screams and yells. It. She's like not the yeah, main. Yeah, so character I actually really liked Barbara's character a lot in this movie, but I just don't like. I don't know. The ending didn't do it for me. Well, here's way. the thing. My problem with the ending, and it has to do with how zombie films are usually societal criticisms as 
started maybe accidentally by the original <laughs> yeah, Night right. Um So I think it would have been good to have Ben still be alive at the end and still get killed by the hillbillies because uh, guess what? We hadn't solved racism in 1990. <laughs> hey, guess what? It's 2020. I don't know if you've noticed we haven't solved it. <laughs> yeah, so I think it would have been important to still stick that in there. Yeah, me too. I guess that's, my, that's what I'm upset about is that they don't they kind of cop out on the Ben ending. Yeah, uh, I do like that she's uh, just straight up murders uh, Harry Cooper though. So you can't fucking die, you asshole! Piece of shit! You, you, you basically didn't care about anybody but yourself, you ass. Uh, and one thing I love about this movie and the original uh, is the expediency of the story. Like the pace is just like, you know, what I mean? we got an hour and twenty. We got an hour and a half. We're gonna make a movie. Let's go! All right, graveyard. Get to the farmhouse. Meet Ben. Yeah, I know there's characters. a lot of story in like the first 15 minutes. Board that shit up. Oh no, zombies attack. Oh, we gotta get out of here. Oh, oh no, humans are the real enemy. Oh no. People start dying. End of the movie. You know what I mean? It's not like fucking fucking montages of people enjoying the mall or a zombie <laughs> baby being born or anything. Oh shit. fuck, I cannot <laughs> stand the, the Dawn of the Dead remake. I really don't like it. I watched it, rewatched it again this week. Um, and train to Busan, and this, uh, and yeah, Dawn of the Dead Take the last train to Busan, and we'll meet you at the station. I can be there by brains. Uh, but, 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 yeah, the Dawn of the Dead remake, after like the first 15 minutes, you just turn it off. <laughs> That's true. It's and pretty good uh, up yeah, until when they settle into the mall. Yeah, even the opening, like, shit now is, like, getting kind of dated, too. And it's, since it just relies on action and special effects, it's going to be ir- irrelevant in, like, 10 years. Fucking, there you go, Zack Snyder. Pretty much every <laughs> film you made just becomes oh, irrelevant shit. after a few years. Wasn't he doing, like, a live uh, Batman and Superman commentary today or some shit? For, for real? I think he was on, like, some sort of streaming service. I do not care about that at all. <laughs> I just wonder how what he fucking said. It's crazy to me that uh, that movie became like a niche fucking cult film for the fucking two most popular superhero products of all time. It's because it was so bad. Yeah, but people are just, just fucking trying so hard to love it. You just didn't understand it. They no, both, it's, it's the antithetical Marvel movie. Don't you understand? They both have a mom named Martha. You don't get it. And the Doomsday shows up. You don't get it. Wonder <laughs> Woman's there. <laughs> Why? We don't know. It's, the, the last 30 minutes is a toy commercial. You don't get it. <laughs> oh, well. Who cares? They're just trying to sell merchandise anyway. <laughs> so Warner Brothers is still doing all right. They're making another Batman anyways. That car looks cool, though. I saw that. Yeah, it looks like the Interceptor from Mad Max. That's why it looks <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't got any new ideas. I actually think... I think people are going to like the new Batman, but it's going to be like a... In, in the reality of it, it's going to be like a complete waste of time. <laughs> it's not going to present any new ideas or anything like that. It's just going to be a, a return to form, as it were, so that they can reset it back to like the Nolan era of Batman having respect. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, because you got <laughs> safe products, man. Safe products. That's all, that's all the people want. We just need to consume products, and then they must be safe. Nothing may deviate from the norm. It needs to be a friendly, 
uh, wonderful, non-confrontational um, consumer experience, and that's all that matters. Batman. Because <laughs> Batman's got nothing to say about society or the human condition. I don't know, man. Like these fucking giant comic book movies are never gonna have anything to say. I mean, it's like yeah. I don't. Well, yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, you can kind of maybe you can kind of argue like the some of the Nolan movies said some some things, but not not just anything super new or important. No, Nolan. Um, as I probably get a lot of flack for this if anyone ever listens to our podcast. Uh, Nolan's one of the um, most heartless directors that's ever been. Um, he, everything he does is really mechanical and inhuman. Like I don't think there's there's anything the Batman trilogy has anything to say. I think it is straight up just like here's a cool action movie, and most of his movies are like that. Like the Prestige is his, his movie that has the most heart, and that's just because it's based off a book that already exists. <laughs> yeah, he changed a lot from the book. Like um, his fucking World War Two movie. It is like the most like cold, callous war movie I've ever seen. It just seems to be about how awesome like fucking boats and shit are <laughs> and airplanes. <laughs> boats are cool though. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, I don't. I think Christopher Nolan's a sociopath and doesn't understand human beings at all. There's, I, I, you know, I'm gonna be honest with you. I think a lot of people uh, in positions of power are sociopaths. Yeah. Well, my th- David Fincher gets accused a lot of having like cold mechanical films and stuff like that being his style. Yeah, that's kind of fair. But I, I don't, I just do not see how people don't catch that Christopher Nolan makes like the most monochromatic, like it's like a robot makes this. Movie. What are you talking about? The man, Leonardo DiCaprio in Inception wanted to see his children. I think. I, I guess, or he missed his wife, or he used his wife, or. Well, he definitely there was all that was wrapped in there. It was a real complicated relationship they had. Yeah, but but it was like. Um, no, they were just going on a cool dream heist. You know what I mean? Everything else is like so like second film Yeah, it, too. it was just like, it, that was all just kind of set dressing. Yeah. Everything is like set dressing to like um, Christopher Nolan. Like He built hey, a tube. Check out this cool action scene. Well, except for with an English accent. <laughs> check out this cool action scene. Yeah, so... Um, I mean, yeah, Return of the Night of the Living Dead remake didn't need to be made, but at least Tom Savini uh, loves film and people and seems like a good human being, not like Christopher Nolan, who's <laughs> basically a mannequin. <laughs> he might be overstating, but I'm going to let it slide. <laughs> this is what this podcast is about. It's about hot takes, about shit people like. People need to be constantly informed that it's just stuff that they think they like. There's actually a lot of problems with it, and I'm going to tell them why. All right, let's talk about why there's a problem with Tiger King. Oh, nothing wrong with Tiger King. I mean, <laughs> yeah, so the Netflix, like, docuseries pipeline is a little bit sketchy. And everything <laughs> yeah, kind of like, oh, it's yeah. but whatever. I'm into but it. That's the problem. But, every, I mean, these people were doing this shit anyways. You know, Netflix is there, like, late to the party anyways. So all this shit was happening before Netflix got involved. <laughs> In fact, I think they just bought someone else's documentary anyways. Like, yeah, this show's all over by the time Netflix got involved. Yeah, so I'm... So we put that aside. And that means Tiger King, perfect. <laughs> Except for there's um when it comes to like these uh, internet weirdos and shit like that that like um builds on the internet and becomes part of like internet lore. I would like for the mainstream not to touch it. Like I think it'd be better if someone just made a documentary series online about um Joe. Ah, well, good luck with that. 
Yeah, I know, but I'm, I, you know me, I'm opposed to mainstream in general. <laughs> did you end up watching Train to Busan? Speaking of consumerism, I did not watch Train to Busan. Oh, I watched it. I mean, I watched it like what four years ago, three years ago when it came out on Blu-ray. Yeah, um, I haven't seen it since then. Yeah, Train to Busan. Speaking of the social meetings in or societal meetings in zombie movies, uh, which kind of uh, that's another problem with the remake in general, aside from the ending. Is uh, it's this one's more about having fun with gore and zombies and shit, and not so much like anxiety or stress-inducing, causing you to think about. The I world don't know all those broadcasts you know? about what the CDC was saying and versus what the local doctors were saying were, were giving me stress and anxiety. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's kind of <laughs> relative too. to the moment now. Yeah. But I was thinking, like, um, yeah, well, our government, our society, in the United States is fucking up real bad with the current pandemic. But the, the fucking zombie pandemic is perfect for the United States. Because, <laughs> yeah, we would have that shit handled in, a, like, it'd be it'd be a couple weeks of the living dead, you know? Well, yeah, but, I mean, in that time frame, 30 million people would die. <clears throat> I don't think so. So I think it's way too exaggerated at the end of this remake, like how it's basically like fucking rifle Woodstock. You know, everyone's just so psyched to kill their neighbors and shit. Yeah. But I do think, like, there's so many contingents in the United States where, like, yeah, there would be people out there. They'd probably be, like, gritting their teeth a little bit having to kill their neighbors. But there's so many fucking guns in the United States, especially if it's these slow-ass zombies. And, like, how the um, Brazilian cartels are, like, shutting down the favelas because the government's not handling it. Like, organized crime in the United States would probably do that shit in urban areas. Like, you fucking have, like, the fucking... I don't know. Like, here's my thing. Like, yeah, there's a lot of guns in the United States, but if if you really you have to shoot them in the head to kill them, most people that have a lot of guns aren't that good of shots. You know what I mean? Like, there there's a small contingent that are probably amazing, but most people don't practice enough. Yeah, but that's just like ancillary protection for like the very beginning. As soon as the army's mil- like mobilized, it's fucking over for the zombies. That's why I mean, it'll be like a that, week. Well, that's what I'm getting at. Like the the problem is, as you see, like the if who's in charge. Depends on who what get mobilized and where. You know, what I, mean? I don't know. Yeah, but the problem with this is you can't with the with the coronavirus is you can't shoot it with guns. <laughs> we you could, know what I mean? We'd be okay. Zo- yeah, zombies you can shoot with guns. So any fucking American president, I don't give a fuck how dumb or shitty they are is gonna be like, oh, we can shoot with guns. We have plenty of guns. Go get them, and they'll be. Happily, I just don't think it's gonna happen. Happy play, to kill play out that way, but happy to kill millions of Americans. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, that's what that's another thing I like about this in the original, where it is kind of just one night of the living dead. Because I don't think these slash zombies or zombies in general would be actually really be that big of a threat to society. I, don't uh, think, I think I think society would collapse after we the the it was over. You know what I mean? I think there'd I be. Think, I don't think it goes as smoothly as you're you're uh, you're laying out here. I think maybe it's it's quick, but at the end, it's, shit is fucked. Oh, yeah, I mean, there'll definitely be, like, societal problems afterwards. I just don't think The Walking Dead or a lot of these zombie movies where it's, like, just the apocalypse forever. I don't... I, I, nah, I'm no, no, sure. I always like the Shaun of the Dead anywhere. Where they, they, life kind of goes back to normal eventually, yeah. but... Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, but it was no, not, you know, like, it's... Compl- I don't know. I just compl- It's going to be... Comp- I don't think it's going to be as smooth. Or this is stupid anyway, so it's never going to happen, but... Yeah, I don't know. My point is just like the initial event of zombies. I don't think zombies could take over the world. Is my thing. That's why I, mean, I, like. I guess I agree with that. I just don't think it, it. It's. I don't think it's a quiet, smooth. We handle this in one night, guys. We're good to go. 
Well, no, nah, I mean, even in the world of Night of the Living Dead, disregarding the sequels that come afterwards, just what's set up in the original film and stuff is obviously it's like that's there's going to be more to it afterwards. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, we just ran out there and killed all our neighbors and fucking everything's fine now. We won't ever have to worry about zombies again or have to figure it out or worry about all the population that's gone. You know what I mean? All that shit's in there, really. Because that's kind of the whole point of the film is we're eating each other alive. Mostly old people are eating the young, but um, that's explored, uh, or not even explored. That's just explicitly shown to you in Train to Busan. Remember when one of the older ladies opens one of the cabin doors and lets yeah. the zombies in to kill everyone? Yeah, old people letting the de- young die just because. <laughs> well, right now, it's the, the, the young refusing to stay at home. And I guess I've seen old people out too. I know, everybody's fucking crazy. Well, the thing is, there's a lot of people Everybody's that... Everybody's very individualistic and actually doesn't care about anybody but themselves, and that's the real problem. I think um, that might be a problem with some people. I think there's a lot of people that uh, there's it's not possible for them not to go to work, you know? Well, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about people like hanging out in a grocery store and shit like that. I'm not talking about going to work. I'm talking about people going to like the golf resorts or just going to restaurants. Or hang out oh, on the yeah. beach. That's There's just plenty, dumb. tons of young people hanging out on the beach in Florida. Yeah, that's just dumb American shit. Well, I don't think they're there now because spring break's over, but they were there. Well, they were, I think I saw a picture of like the beaches. Like one county is shut down and one isn't. And so you see the beach empty on one side and then completely full on the other side. Oh, yeah, I saw that picture. Yeah, so I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I don't, it's like... I don't think it's an old versus young problem. I think that generally people don't really think much outside of beyond their personal bubble. Um, I think that and, might uh, the be... people are going to be real shocked when uh, this coronavirus really hits because we're still about two or three weeks away from the peak. Oh yeah, we're just trailing behind Italy, except for worse, escalating quicker. Uh, I think that might be a uniquely American problem where yeah, people are way too individualistic. I don't think so, but I mean, I think it might or be it's, um, more of a problem in America. But I, I, you see it everywhere. Yeah, well, the United States is the most glaring example of it. We're absolutely the worst about it. Um, and I then, think that's just we say that because we, we live here. But I, I, I mean, it seems to be there's anecdotal evidence if you compare just regular policy decisions to other countries or quality of life. All sorts. There's all sorts of metrics that. Seem I mean, I can, I, I could argue that if you want. I feel like people that say that really don't know much about like European politics. Well, I mean, yeah, so there's problems with the European Union and then individual states in the European Union and then states out. Yeah, I mean, there's problems in every country, but there is a specific mentality that seems to exist in the United States that doesn't seem to come through in other countries. I guess I can't say that for sure, not having lived in other countries for any extended amount of time, but there is a specific American identity that's been around since the forging of America that seems to be detrimental to collective society. I, I don't know. I guess that my whole point, I, I would still argue that it's not an American problem uniquely. Um, selfishness is a problem in general, but I think it's been magnified in the United States through the mythology we created. We got really far afield. I mean, not really. This is all relevant to Night of the Living Dead, I think. Uh, obviously, this isn't addressed specifically, and maybe these exact thoughts weren't on George Romero's mind at the time when he made it, <laughs> but it did that's like the anxiety of the late sixties is similar to 
what people are experiencing now, like, except for wealth inequality is worse now than the 60s, obviously. Yeah. I, the one thing I'm, gonna, I'm curious to see is, like, if our culture completely changes the way we handle, like, social interactions after this is all over. Because, like, a big reason, like, uh, you know, China and Korea and Vietnam and, like, those places in Southeast Asia wear face masks is because of SARS, and they had such a big problem with, with SARS when it didn't really hit the Western society as much. Yeah, <clears throat> that's a good example to bring up too. And they also generally wear the face masks to protect other people, right? And that's what see. That's like a different. Like the United States doesn't have that. You know what I mean? Yeah, but again, their their impetus to start doing that was like was a societal event. Yeah, a societal event. Well, no, I thought it was pretty common in um, like Japan and South Korea and stuff way before SARS. Yeah, maybe, but I think the SARS is when it really. That's my my recollection, but I could be wrong. And somehow we need to change the mythology. We need more Night of the Living Deads to come out. Um, except for there's not ever going to be a movie like Night of the Living Dead again. In fact, they're probably. What are you talking about? They remade it like ten years ago, like a three D kind of thing, right? How two thousand six three D Night of the Living Dead? It was uh, fucking hilarious to go. I never watched it. <laughs> We got high and shit. Watched it in the theaters. I thought wasn't I invited to go with you guys, or was that somebody else? Yeah, you, I, it ended up just being me, uh, Stephanie, and Jason. I think <laughs> or, was it Jason? I don't know. It was me, oh. Stephanie, and someone else. I remember. Oh my god! <laughs> no, no. Well, I, I mean, it's obviously going to be terrible. <laughs> you know, what I mean, that's when you go to see it. Just like, yeah, this is going to be like a weird, like fucking garbage movie. Let's check it out. At this point, there's not going to be another movie like Night of the Living Dead because there's not going to be any more movies. Well, <laughs> that just says direct-to-video. Well, not direct-to-video, but, you know... Video just, on demand. Yeah. I mean, fucking new movies are just getting streamed to the movie theater anyways. Cut out the middleman, I guess. <laughs> I need to buy a projector so I can go in the backyard and project against my house. Yeah, but um, my thinking was... Uh, I've been reading recently about how um, completely unfunded the arts are in the United States. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so in addition to capitalism run rampant and the studio system taking over movies and everything being completely profit driven, there's All also the public just funding has been stripped away. Yeah, there's just like not also any opportunity for any new voices to really enter into the um, environment of film. So, yeah, there's not probably not ever going to be a ground shaking independent horror film ever made again. So that's awesome. I guess the times they change, huh? That's society for you. Night of Living Dead. I guess that's another reason why I like zombie movies is because they always, uh, even if they're bad, they force you to think about uh, Night of Living Dead. <laughs> Night of the Living Dead forces you to think about societal uh, ills. So you watch Dawn of the Dead and you're like, this fucking sucks. Remember Night of Living Dead? It was about something. <laughs> oh, this one has a zombie baby, though. <laughs> yeah. Now that I've been reading more about George uh, Romero's quotes and the surrounding circumstances of the Night of the Living Dead, for a long time I was convinced that like he was just downplaying like the uh, active choices he made in and making it subversive. Yeah, uh, I think I'm kind of convinced now that it was, and this might might make it even better for me now. Is I'm kind of convinced that it was just all the pressure and anxiety of society at the time that he was experiencing, and it like manifested in him and like all the pieces came into play where it like manifested perfectly to be this major subversive film. Like he didn't realize what he was putting to film, but all those anxieties and the terror of the time like came through into it. 
it's like um spirit photography i guess <laughs> we got the ecto- will ecto- into being yeah there's ectoplasm all over this film <clears throat> so that's my um review and endorsement of the original night of the living dead for the remake uh if you like tom savini and horror movies and you just want to like watch a fun zombie movie and just watch the remake yeah, I'm like that's my like. If you're gonna, you know, you know, if you got, you have time and you're in quarantine, you got, some, you need some time to kill. I guess watch it, but I would rather watch the '68 version. Yeah, you definitely choose the '68 over this one, and '68's in public domain, so you can watch it like anywhere. But um, yeah, this one's like, like I said, if like uh, if you're like me and you've seen like every zombie movie ever made, and sometimes you just want to watch another zombie movie. And you're like, I haven't seen this one in a while. You can watch the Night of the Living Dead remake. <laughs> it's got Candyman. Or if you're like me and there's a, you have a podcast where you only watch films from a certain time period. <laughs> so, you can't watch, so you can't watch the Night of the Living Dead. You watch the Night of the Living Dead remake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You ready for a 9-11 Super Mom's review of uh, Tetsuo, the Iron Man? Yeah. Fuck, is it 9 slash 11, like 9-11? No, it's nine one one. But then oh. I clicked on the picture, and it was like you know, f- fire dispatch. And so I assume it's nine eleven. So that's what we're going with. Oh well, no, maybe she works for the nine one one dispatch. Maybe whatever. It's a difference. It's like anyone could work for the nine one one dispatch, but like, <laughs> no, someone, only one person could be a nine eleven supermom. Well, yeah, yeah like can... someone whose name is nine eleven supermom is going to be way different than someone who's just proud to work at nine one one dispatch. So you, this could just be the dispatch. I believe it is just a dispatch woman, but okay. Um, ready? Yep. All right. Okay. I'm all about out there kind of movies. Always a great start. I also fully understand the artistry, cinematography, and the use of certain camera tricks and leaving certain things up to the imagination when it comes to these kind of movies. I love horror. I love indies. I love sci-fi. This movie sucked. For all it says it is in the description, in other reviews I read about it, I decided to give it a try. I wish I hadn't. I even... Stuck with it all the way to the end, just in case at some point it made sense or explained whether he was just, there's a why there, insane and imagining half the crap in the movie, or if he was able to accomplish what I thought he set out to do. What did he set out to do? It was dismal, didn't make sense half the time, and gave me a headache. Not the artistry it claimed to be. Skip this one. You'll thank yourself for it. Okay. The end. Um... I like how she had to preface all that stuff because she's like, I realize that um, this movie celebrated for certain things, so let me cover all that ground first. Usually these things I like. <laughs> um, well, I think everybody has to like... I always feel like everybody has to list their, um, their, bona fide their credentials and shit yeah. before they, like, they answer anything. <laughs> Not me. I'm like, listen, I'm just a fucking loser, but uh, Marvel movies suck. <laughs> um... I mean, so the thing is, like, I absolutely understand why people don't like Tetsuya, especially, uh, you know, normal people walking around doing everyday shit, watching regular movies and TV shows and stuff. And, like, it's not like she said anything particularly offensive, which makes me think she's not a 9-11 supermom. (laughs) Yeah, just a dispatch supermom. But, come on, I know this, this narrative is a little bit impressionistic in the movie, but it's also, like, Pretty fucking simple. (laughs) 
He hits the metal fetishes. He gets the metal zit, and then metal takes over his body, and they become metal gods. What is it not to get? <laughs> it's a little bit out there, but it's you know pretty simple. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't hold that review against her at all. It is like a kind of like confrontational movie, and like she said, it kind of gave me a headache. And it's like, yeah, it is really. Yeah, I got it. That part I understand. I got it. It was movie. Yeah, that's what I mean. When I like the week before we watched it, I remember I like had a little. I prefaced a little bit like, yeah, a lot of people aren't going to like this movie. I totally get it. That is the thing. Like, I know it is um, that one quote we had about it where it was like a Novocaine-less tooth operation and it seems like it should be a cartoon, but since it's not, it makes it even more disturbing. It's like absolutely what it is. Like, it is a movie that makes people uncomfortable and it's hard to watch. So I get it if people don't like it. That said... I'm skeptical of her bona fide days because I feel like you would think she'd just be like, you know, not my kind of horror movie and then move on. But then I also don't understand people who leave reviews for movies like on any website or any shit unless you're getting paid for it. <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, most of the time they're like, they're like one or two sentences. You got to really hunt and peck for the, the long ones. Yeah. Um, so shockingly, this is the only long one-star review. Actually, this is the only one-star review on Amazon, I think, for Tetsuo. But there was only like 30 reviews, so that's, that's probably why. Yeah, it's also because Tetsuo is not going to be a movie I think Amazon advertises. Yeah, no, not for sure. <laughs> so it's going to be people that, like she said, her uh, the um, algorithm has adjusted to her taste watching, so Tetsuo kind of came up, or people kind of looking for Tetsuo, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like you're, you're not going to stumble on Tetsuo. Nah. Not not in normal circumstances. Not anymore now. Back in the day when you go to the horror section at a fucking Blockbuster, yeah. And there's only like, you know, 50 movies and you've seen them all. Yeah, but, you know, not anymore now. Fucking Amazon's got everything. You can watch uh, Swamp Thing, I think. Why wouldn't you want to watch Swamp Thing? <laughs> Good question. We'll watch it eventually. What are we um, watching next? Next week, though, we're watching Wolfen. Wolfen? Wolfen. Steppen Wolfen? It's the He's the Wolfen. <laughs> Remember in uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He is. Yeah, so we watched Wolf in this uh, 1981 little uh, little spooky there. Um, werewolf movie, I guess. Yeah, it's a werewolf movie. I'm, not, I guess. It absolutely is. I mean, I feel like movie. you should know if you're going to suggest it. Yeah, it's a werewolf movie in the big city. Werewolf in the big city. It's Sorry. not Silver Bullet, though. No. Or The Howling. Ooh, or, that was a good one. Or um, American Werewolf in London. We'll watch them all eventually. The 80s were actually a pretty good time period for werewolf movies. Well, my favorite period for werewolf movies were uh, the early aughts when we, when we got those vampire werewolf movies. Good stuff. Or the Wolfman remake with Antonio... No, not Antonio Banderas with Benicio Del Toro. Oh, I forgot about that thing. I didn't oh, watch yeah. it. It was a fucking... Cinematography in that movie is really oh, good. Oh, wait, I did see that movie. But it is pretty dumb. Yeah, well, yeah. And the only part I remember is the uh, transformation into the werewolf being really gross. Yeah. Not as gross as Wolf Cop, though. Wolf Cop has the best werewolf transformation because you get to watch his penis rupture. <laughs> That's the best thing. It's pretty good. I mean, it's it's like one of those weird, like, you know, cheesy practical effects where you're just like, you know, this is fun. I'm having fun. <laughs> Yeah, so the Wolfen or Wolfen's better than Wolf the Wolfman remake, though. Even though you know the cinematography will be a bit different, but uh, it does have uh, returning hero Albert Finney. We haven't seen him since uh, Miller's Crossing. He's gonna be back. Oh man, it's Albert Finney time. 
Yep. So get yourself excited, VHS Cult, and head on over to VHSCult.com and then rate and review the podcast. Tell your friends and family about it. Let's get that shit out there. Leave YouTube comments for us. Not on our YouTube, but like go to other YouTube videos that are popular. Just talk about VHS Cult, shit like that. Just, <laughs> just, just link it, post it everywhere. It doesn't matter where. Yeah, uh, just, if you get banned from a website or a message board or a forum or anything like that, it's worth it. Yeah, just do the real gorilla shit. I don't care. Your Discord servers, whatever you kids are up to, do a TikTok about it. Fucking who cares? The new Perfume Genius song has become a TikTok meme. Fucking whack. Kids are crazy. <laughs> TikTok. I saw someone like send a um, DM to Perfume Genius on Twitter and it was just like, hey, you got a TikTok song? And it's like really <laughs> yeah apparently i am kids these days i don't know about perfume genius that's that's wild kids is crazy they don't know shit all they know is not go to school make memes about not going to school eat hot chip and lie <laughs> whatever if you're a kid listening to this though i don't think the fucking zoomers listen to podcasts i think it's all like 30 year old like losers yeah, I I um young kids is crazy <laughs> Are they? I think the kids are all right. Oh, yeah, they're fine, I'm sure. It's just... Uh, kids have um, always been crazy. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any complaints about the younger kids. Not any complaints that I don't also have about the same people my age group and people older. My complaint about most people is uh, rampant consumerism, letting their identity and their purpose in life be wrapped up in consumer products. So thanks for, listening to like my pod- <laughs> thanks for listening to our podcast about consumer products. <laughs> Well, you know, some of these are real, real indie love fests. You know what I mean? A lot of um, heart. I mean, I, I know, like maybe five. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the movies we've watched aren't, and also film film was different in the seventies and eighties. You know, it wasn't so consumer driven. Obviously, there's a profit motive. Otherwise, you wouldn't have groups like the Canon Film Group and shit. But um, generally. There's people making movies just because they want to make a movie. Where does can where does art end and consumerism begin? And in the seventies and eighties, I think it was a bigger stretch from art to consumerism, not like kind of how it is today or has been for like the last fifteen years, twenty years. I think the last time film mattered I think the was the problem like the, with film like we talked about before is that the, because of the, the industry and the way it's become and like the type of money that people have to spend on you know, going to the movies um, it's created a situation where only like well-known products are going to get made I don't think, really I that. think like, that's the main cause though. I think that's a contributing factor um, but I think the way our culture has developed in the last in, within my lifetime has made people really scared and so they retreat into things that they're already really feel safe and comfortable with continually. Yeah, I mean, there's, that's certainly true. But I mean, that's that's happening in across the industry, and it's not unique to film. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. doing remakes of everything and TV shows. And- yeah, I, I mean, I, that's what I mean. Is um, culture in general has gotten kind of weird, and uh, my biggest concern is with 
the film industry just because I like movies so much. Can I also, but it like, is one one of my real big real big beliefs on this is like the way IP laws have been written over the last hundred years is has a big uh, factor on why we don't see a lot of new, new uh, products, new art, you know, like new ideas. Yeah, and then I mean, yeah, like for example, they kept making Fantastic Four movies just to reset the fucking copyright. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't even necessarily talk about that shit either. But like, just the fact that like, why are like, no Disney films are in public record at this point? Uh, no, they aren't. Right? They should be. <laughs> they keep doing copyright extensions. Mickey Mouse was almost um, public domain, right? Yeah, public domain, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. not just it, but like Sherlock Holmes is probably the Night of the Living Dead is. That's because of a mistake with the copyright. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. A lot of uh, literature is in public domain, and yet I guess you're paying for the printing when you go buy the the, the physical copies. Yeah, <laughs> those books are usually cheaper too than the yeah a lot cheaper. And also, if you want, you can go to like the Gutenberg Project dot org. And they're all available online for free. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess, you know, that's this VHS cult. We talk about random shit. No, um, this one, this is a crazy one. Ostensibly, it seems like our show's about 80s movies, but uh, that just doesn't even scratch the surface. It's my, I don't know, I, I can't, is it because I'm, like, paranoid and I read into shit too much, but, or is it, I can just see the tendrils of, like, culture and society in movies, and they always, like, um, inspire like something else that I've noticed recently. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I get it. I don't know. It's not. We're not. It's, we're not a particularly uh, um, critically academic criticism of film, I guess. At all, it's just more like how do movies make me feel? <laughs> <laughs> I think people that did actually get critically academic about film. So. I think it'd be interesting uh, with certain films where the intention is there. But yeah, when people like uh, are super academically critical of like, um, fucking yeah, the, like if someone tried to do that for this Night of the Living Dead remake, I'd be like, well, fucking nah, I don't think there's that much to it, unless you're just gonna go back and talk about the '68 film and the differences. But who knows? Anything can happen on YouTube. I'm sure there's a video essay about the Soviet propaganda in. Night of Living Dead remake this and shit. <laughs> it's there. I'm sure someone saw it. Just like fucking The Shining is about landing on the moon or not landing on the moon. <laughs> Alright, I guess we rambled enough. VHS Cult, that'll do it. Tune in next week for The Wolfen. Uh, Twitter, VHSCult.com. Outside.